Welcome to the Genuinely You podcast channel, which is packed with advice and tips on how to live your life with purpose. Do you wish you felt happy and fulfilled? Are you feeling stuck, wishing things could be better? Are you ready to take some action and create the life you want? To start living an empowered life, you need to recognize and make full use of the power and freedom that comes from being genuinely you. Your host is Gina Gardner, a number one best-selling author whose whole life has been about supporting people to achieve personal empowerment, helping people just like you recognize that they can. Hello there, it's Gina Gardner here and I'm joined as usual by my very good friend, Rachel Davidson. The theme of learned helplessness oh. has come up on so many occasions recently, both in the family situation and also in the leadership situation. Yep. And so I thought it would be quite interesting to explore the theme of learned helplessness yes. and how very many bosses or parents for that matter say mm -hmm. they want their children to be independent, to think for themselves. Mm -hmm. And yet inadvertently, they are doing the very, um, the very thing that keeps their children or their staff stuck in that place where they want reassurance all the time. That they come and ask questions to which either they should know the answer or they should know where to find the mm -hmm. answer. Mm -hmm. Where they're not prepared to step out of their comfort zone and do anything that's, that's not being directly... Mm. Um, asked of them mm. in case they get into trouble or in case they get it wrong yeah it's this sort of you know well um you know if i take responsibility then i might get it wrong but if i go and ask the boss first i can't be I, blamed well exactly then it's the boss's fault because uh, he told me yeah i was working with a, a young man last week and his way of getting out of everything is i don't understand he just says i don't understand everything yeah but that's his default <laughs> place i don't understand and um it's become a habit because when he looks blank and says, I don't understand, somebody rescues him. And he doesn't actually have to understand or take responsibility mm -hmm. um, because somebody else always does it for him. Mm -hmm. The consequence of that is the part of his brain which has to think um, is beginning to shrivel, I think. Mm. Um, because when you say to him, well, just pretend you do understand mm. and you're prepared to wait and the silence hands within a, a decreasing amount of time now, mm. he comes up with a perfectly reasonable answer. Yeah. It's become his default setting. Yes. So it's quite interesting, isn't it, that in the same context as there is learned helplessness, that there is also a learned takeoverness, for want of a better phrase. Um, parents rescue often teachers rescue yeah the subordinates in this, in this scenario yeah. teaches the higher uh, person um, the leader in this scenario to do it for them now <laughs> I'm not sure whether it's all um, leader or parent down or mm. whether there are some children like animals mm. who are very good at training their parents or their owners yeah. to do what they want. My cat's a case in point. Um, you know, well, it's, it has to be a codependent. Do I mean codependent? I always get this slightly mixed up. Gina, you're the expert. But both parties have to coer coercively be sort of 
uh, agree in agreement that this this dynamic is going to happen. But it happens at for the most part at unconscious level. Yes. So, for example, let's look at an extreme example. You see often on the television people who are hugely overweight to the point that they can't get out of bed. Mm -hmm. They can't stay overweight unless somebody feeds them because they can't physically get up. Yeah. But they stay overweight because somebody is complicit in their helplessness. Yeah. When you put it into the context of leadership, mm -hmm. I was talking to a client yesterday about um, they want their senior managers, this is the top decision maker, wants their senior managers to take more responsibility. Mm -hmm. When I said to him, but think about how you're behaving, initially he was very surprised. But yeah, but it's them I want to work on. Mm -hmm. um, getting across to all of you and him um, that you have to start with yourself. You can't change someone else. You can only change the way in which you deal with them, respond to them, enact with them, re you know, interact with them. Yeah. And if you change that, then you are likely to change their behaviour because they will be in, they will be um, because you behave differently. Their response will be different. So, so what was he doing then that was um, removing the ability of these, these obviously clearly intelligent, you don't get to be a senior decision maker in any business yeah. without having some level of capability to do so. And I, don't, I think that's a really important point because this is not about people lacking the capacity. No. It's not recognising that in their wish to help, mm. they often create a situation which keeps people in a in a particular level of thinking mm -hmm. and i think it for me in the business context you have to train people to think for themselves mm -hmm. part of that is about giving permission mm -hmm. and having a culture where getting it wrong is not seen as something that is disastrous now of course if you're a pilot or a brain surgeon you know that's different mm -hmm. but having a culture where Failure is seen as part of the development. The only failure is the failure to have a go and the failure to learn. Mm -hmm. So it's not about consistently failing. And it is about putting people into a situation where it, it, there's a, within a safe environment to fail. You're not setting them up for failure. That's really important. No. But ultimately, you first of all have to give them the tools and then you have to enable them to use those tools yeah. And to do that in a stepped way, so they're not so frightened and de-skilled that they're paralysed by that. Uh -huh. And that means being very, very clear about training them, uh -huh. but also where are the levels of authority and autonomy? Uh -huh. That's often missing. So people yeah. are unsure, well, I can make up a, de a decision up to this point, but at that point, I need to refer to the person above me. And that's very rarely thought out and clear. Mm. It happens by chance rather than by design. Yes. And so if you're a senior leader or you're a middle manager and you have a team and you want to delegate to your team, one of the things you need to be very clear 
to yourself first mm -hmm. is where are the lines? Where are the boundaries? And and why? And why are they there? Absolutely. <laughs> and are those boundaries absolutely clear? Because clarity is the first thing. Clarity in your thinking if you're the decision maker, mm -hmm. uh, you're the person in charge. And then how do you share that clarity in a way that's not dictatorial, mm -hmm. but just is very um, open with your level of decision making, your level of responsibility match. Mm -hmm. your, what a lot of things people have, they give people lots of responsibility but they don't give them the authority and the autonomy mm. which matches that. And then there's or the other way around. Well, there's sort of a worse situation. This occurred to me in my corporate life, as was, and, and people I know who still have to deal with the corporate uh, organisation, um, is that, that you're given accountability and, and yet none of the um, ability to, to make that change. Absolutely. You know, I always used to operate on, on with the with this phrase in mind, that it is easier to ask for forgiveness than it is to ask for permission. And that's often the case in certainly yeah. big organisations where searching for permission to do things requires so many levels. And, and in you know, especially with, with things that I was doing sort of, uh, you know, trying to pioneer, yes, entrepreneurially or whatever. Um, there weren't there weren't many people who were willing to take the risk. No, because let's face it, most corp in my experience, most corporate organisations become more about um, the individuals worrying about their uh, career and their next path than it is about what, why does this corporation exist and what is the benefit to the customer. Often. In day-to-day -day, um, operations gets forgotten about half the time and that's where a lot of frustration I think can be in working in big organizations versus smaller where they could be much more um, reactive can't they to, to yeah. changes but I think I was an anomaly in taking that view of I'll ask for forgiveness if it goes wrong later rather than waste my time seeking permission I wasn't that renegade. I mean, you know, I did try within the parameters but, of. But you definitely, I definitely got to a point in my career where I thought, oh, for heaven's sake, you know, uh, I could, I could actually try something out and see if it works, and nobody would notice and spot it necessarily. Yes. Or I could waste my time trying to, you know, get agreement from people who don't want to risk their necks uh, on something that's a bit new. And so I, I was a bit unusual in taking that because I think the majority of people just wouldn't. The risk averse. Absolutely risk averse at yeah. every level. I am in a team, I'm not going to do something um, that I'm not sure about yeah. or that I'm not clear about in terms of where my responsibilities are yeah. and what I'm allowed to do. So I'll do nothing yeah. or I'll stay in this very, very small space. Yeah. The problem with that is that that person stays limited in terms of their capacity even though they have the potential and everything goes back to the leader so the leader i spoke to yesterday was you know run ragged they they were running they were so thinly stretched yeah. because everything was coming back to them all the time yeah it was a complex organization multi-layered not a corporate but a, a, no. a, 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 an independent business mm -hmm. with several different interrelated departments mm -hmm. 
But if everybody is not prepared, if everybody's unprepared uh -huh. to take the initiative uh -huh. within set parameters and they constantly come back to the senior leader, uh -huh. and if they're not there, then things get left, then uh -huh. things are going to deteriorate. Uh -huh. at, at worst, they'll fail. Uh -huh. And at best, you're not getting the best out of your people, uh -huh. you're not getting the best out of yourself because you can't do the strategic stuff because you're so busy uh -huh. dealing with the operational stuff that actually should be down to somebody else. Uh -huh. But I want to put this into the family situation first because I think this is where it starts. Uh -huh. This is where it's, we begin to learn um, how to be helpless. Yeah. So let me give you a couple of examples from school because I think they, whilst people will say, well, what's the relevance? I think they're incredibly relevant. Uh -huh. Your young children coming into school very often don't know how to dress themselves. They don't know how to take themselves to the toilet because they've been used to parents doing it for them or carers. Yeah. And parents do it for all the right reasons. They want children to have their shoes on the right foot, for example. Oh, God, it's just easier. <laughs> it takes less time. If anybody's tried to um, be with a toddler who is trying to dress themselves, you need patience. <laughs> Big patience. Yeah. Yeah. But then fast forward, they get to school, and unless they're in a, a, they're in a, a situation where the teacher um, or the, the te teacher assistant um, is patient and says, well, you can do that for yourself, mm. um, you know, this is how you do it, mm. now you do it, this continues. Mm. And I've had conversations with parents of children who are, you know, um, about to go to secondary school, who have Velcro shoes because they don't know how to tie the shoelaces. Mm. And you know, they, what you could say, well, does it matter? They can go through their life wearing Velcro shoes. No, no, you can't. But ultimately, <laughs> there will come a time when they need to tie their own tie, where they need to, to do up their own shoelaces, um, and where they can actually, if they don't know how to do something, they know how to go and find out how to rather than standing there saying, dress me or sort me out. Yeah. And the challenge I think for society now is everybody's so busy that what tends to happen is that people will go for the short-term easy way out. Yeah. But then you have to repeat that behaviour over and over and over again. Yeah. So in the medium to long term, it's absolutely counterproductive. I was amused, although I shouldn't be amused, last night when we were talking, that, you know, your, well, you tell the story of your son. <laughs> because I think that <laughs> epitomises what's going on in families, but also in a business context, it's still happening there. Yeah. Are you talking about the dog poo? I am talking okay. about the dog poo. So, so my 12-year-old son is out in, in my my mother's garden, yeah, it's relevant to mention that the garden is owned by my mother, and he treads in some dog poo. And I say to him, I'm in the garden with him, I say, go to the hose, garden hose and get that washed off. You're not getting in my car if you're smelling like that. He's 12 years old. He knows how a hose works. He knows how to take his shoes off his feet. Yeah, he knows that dog poo isn't very nice. So, you know, he, he's in no way... Um, you know, at 12 years old, disabled, okay? 
And having told him that, I got on with the job that I was doing with my daughter and whatever. And then when I went back into the house, he was there with his trainers on. So I said to him, Have you, did you do that then? Did you clean, clean this off? And he said, Nana did it. And uh, I don't know, I can imagine what he did. He went and he stood by the hose and he probably took it off and went. And then he probably looked a bit pathetic. Oh, and I've done this when cars have broken down. That I've been on the road. There is a there is a time and a place for looking pathetic and hoping somebody will come and rescue you, but but not for for something as simple as this. Even if it is distasteful. Okay. <clears throat> and my mother had swooped in and done it for him. So so when I found this out, I looked at him and I said, "You asked Nana to do it for you." And my mum says, "Oh, but um, it's not a it's not a little boy job." And at 12 years old, I do not believe my son is a little boy. Okay? At some point, he's either literally or metaphorically going to have to clean poo off his shoes in his life. He's going to have to take the first step of doing that distasteful job, that specific distasteful job or something akin to that. Okay? And my, my mother is not going to be there to help him out no. with it. And he is going to stand there and look vulnerable and be vulnerable to other people in that moment. I don't mean, you know, he's going to be attacked, but that, that sense of lack of independence. Yes, the power, power is being... somebody else. And he tells a very distinct story to, to the world around him of who he is and what he's capable of. And at the moment, he's choosing very much to be, I'm helpless and I can't do anything for myself. And um, if anything is, is likely to rile me, with regard to parenting. Well, I can tell from your voice, actually. <laughs> that, that um, because I, I can't remember where I read it or who told me this, but, but I heard it very early on when I was um, a new mother, and it really resonated with me. And it resonated actually partly because of how my own childhood worked. And that is that our parents do their children a disservice by doing stuff, what they are capable of doing. If your child is capable of doing something, then you give them a gift by ensuring that they do it for themselves. That does mean that as a parent, you have to let go of these, you know, lovely moments. Oh, they're no longer a baby, and uh, oh, but I like dressing them. You have to let go of that because it is not a gift to continue it beyond the natural point where these things should be falling away. There is a reason why mother bears eventually say to their they're grown-up cubs, go away. You're not coming to my environment anymore. Go out into the big bad world and live, or don't, but it, you know, go away. And nature de definitely does place this, because it is, it is what we are required to do. We are required to strengthen our backbones, to stand up straight, and to be able to take some water and wipe some dog poo off our shoes. Now let's put that. Thank you very much. Now let's put that into the context of business. Okay. <laughs> so let me give you an example of another client who has a team of people. They're lovely, lovely people. And when I first started working with them, one of the things that became very evident is how irritated he got when people kept coming, disturbing what he was doing because he was also operational within mm, the context yeah, of his business. Yes to ask him questions that he felt that they should know the answer to. And we started talking about the fact that what he would do is he would tell them the answer uh -huh. and get irritated. <laughs> yeah. And then 
they'd do it again in the day and he would tell them the answer and get more irritated. And this pattern would go on until during the week at some point he would usually lose his temper. Why can't you do it for yourself? (laughs) And when I said to him, I just want to reflect back to you. First and foremost, my question would be, have you trained them to do, because it's a very technical job that they do, have you trained them to do it? Are they asking you questions? Because first and foremost, the training has not been either complete or adequate. Or checked. Or checked. Okay. As in terms of understanding, yeah. And one of the suggestions I made to him is that when the, uh, well, I'll come back to that. Okay, so that was the first thing. Uh-huh. The second thing was, if you answer the question every time, what you're, the message you are giving to your staff is, that's okay. Uh-huh. That's the way it works here. Uh-huh. I'm not sure. I come to you. You confirm and you tell me I go and do it. Yeah, because, you know, getting, getting him being short with them is probably a little bit irritating for them, but actually it's a lot less effort than actually having to sort of think and go and yeah. find and check and, and, you know, read up on something. It's easy just to go and ask him and be shouted at. <laughs> and you didn't get shouted at every time. You only got <laughs> shouted at when he got more and more and more irritated because he was getting further and further behind with his day-to-day stuff but more importantly for me i think was that he wasn't then having time to work strategically in his Mm -hmm. business um working long hours to try and catch up Mm -hmm. and no time to take a step back and look at what was going on within the context of his business sort of in the micro Mm -hmm. but also in terms of expanding his business and looking at how he could manage that in a way that would be more productive and more profitable because his his focus was sort of down on the minutiae all the time and he ultimately took responsibility for the day-to-day doing of everybody in his team now of course he takes the ultimate responsibility for his business and for his staff and their welfare now when we started to unpick this and he um, first of all people have to recognize the behaviours and own them and then also understand the limitation of those behaviours and to have an understanding of which behaviours you can replace them with which are more empowering to you and to them. First principle, you have to start with you. You know, it's so easy to think, I've got a problem with myself, I need to work on making them, sorting them, it's their fault. But if you start with you uh-huh. and recognise that actually in the way in which you tackle this, you can make a huge difference. Uh-huh. In the same way that you, you know, you're tackling it by saying, go and have a go, get it off yourself. Uh-huh. If he gets a wet shoe, then you'll recognise he needs to direct the hose uh-huh. differently. Uh-huh. Or to start, we'd be more careful about stepping in dog poo in the garden. <laughs> well, that would be the idea. Uh, a couple of times. <laughs> And so breaking it down step by step into how do you make this work on a consistent basis? First and foremost, you manage yourself. You manage your emotional self because dealing with people when you're irritated actually is counterproductive because you 
in your body language, your voice, your tone, the words that you say are likely to be destructive rather than helpful. Second is, have to look at what training you do. And one of the things that was set up within this organization, and I've worked with them for a while now, is we've created a culture which is a development culture. Uh And everybody in the organization now, instead of working in silos, works as a team. And everybody within the team is responsible for helping develop other members of the team. Uh Even the person who is the, the least experienced, she's got jobs that she's responsible for. And she ensures that other people within the organization understand when a new bit of a kit comes in, she's the one that gets to understand that and then she teaches everybody else. And they have development Thursdays. So on Thursdays, it becomes a teaching day. They're still doing their work, but ultimately there's a plan for each Thursday of who's going to be teaching who what. Um, And sometimes it's everybody's going to be learning something new, but ultimately people are delegated to have the responsibility to teach somebody else within the team or some others within the team. Uh So having a culture where development is important, I think makes a huge difference. And the recognition that you won't get it right straight away, that you have to learn. And part of the development is, right, okay, those bits are good because, tell me, what do you think of the others and how might you improve them? Mm -hmm. Or, before you start, tell me what you think about what you've done. Where do you think that you could make improvements where are the bits that you're pleased with Mm -hmm. Um, and having those open conversations now one of the other things that they do is as they learn something new they um, the first person who learns it uh, when they've got it right they then do bullet points in terms of the step process remember their work is very practical Mm -hmm. and that's checked by the person who's taught them and it goes into their folder their development folder but so now when they come and ask a question, unless it's something which is out of the arena of the things they've been taught, mm-hmm. so, okay, you're asking the question, now think, mm-hmm. think back. What do you think is the answer? Okay. Now, <laughs> sometimes they get it wrong, in which case there's mm-hmm. an opportunity to revisit. Mm-hmm. Other times, yeah, that's right, off you go. Mm-hmm. And so they they build the confidence. (laughs) So ultimately, they're asking less and less what he refers to as stupid questions. (laughs) The other thing that's happened is that the skill base of the whole team is increasing. Mm. They were good before, but they're getting even better. Mm. And there's better job satisfaction. Mm. Relationships within the team are better because people aren't getting ratty with one another. Mm. And that the organization in the last two years, their, their productivity and their profitability has increased by a third. Oh, excellent. And they were doing pretty well before. Yeah. yeah. So they've gone from half a million to three quarters of a million pounds worth of product yeah. in two years. Fabulous. Yeah. And they go 
home earlier, they work less. They finish <laughs> early on a Friday. Yeah. The working environment is better. Yeah. Why? Because they have been taught to think for themselves and, actually, and do it in a particular way. This makes me think of the chapter in that Lost Connections book. Yes. Um, around which deals with the Johan Colby. That's right. Uh, causes of depression, where he talks about um, uh, how work has to have some meaning, and he's yes. not talking about not doing the drudge work, but because every role's got drudge, and, hasn't it? And somebody has to do it. Yeah. But it doesn't mean to say that that person can't find meaning in, in that, no. that work. And part of it is that no matter how mundane the work is, yes. if you feel that you have a, an ability to control it and to have a say, so i.e. you are not helpless, yes. then you have an engagement with that that can actually be good for your mental health. <laughs> and ultimately... If what you're doing is making a contribution to the whole and you understand what value that contribution has, then it makes it much easier to look at that, that role, that job, in a very different way. Mm. Let me give you an example, and we're getting close to the end of our discussion, but I think you know, one of the things that when you run an organisation, it's very easy to think of people like the cleaners <clears throat> for example, as unimportant. Mm. Yeah. And certainly when I was in school, you may have heard this, this before, young teachers would often dismiss cleaners and site staff as less important than mm. them. But if you were working in an environment where the toilets are dirty, where they smell, <laughs> where everywhere looks umpty and uncared for, that has a distinct impact on morale and your health, quite frankly. Mm. Um, and I would say to young teachers, you know, you're very lucky you, you're in an organisation where you never smell toilets. Mm. I've talking, taught in schools where the boys' toilets are rank mm. and that you can smell them the length of the corridor in the summer. Mm. It's distasteful, it's horrible. So having pride in whatever job you do mm. and recognising that each cog in the wheel is important one cog's missing nothing works Billy Connolly I think it was did a great joke on that where he he um, he does the what happens if Sweeter decides to stop working you know <laughs> very quickly all of the higher more senior <laughs> yeah body parts begin to suffer they certainly do <laughs> and it's a good metaphor for you know yeah. just because it's a, a you know a, a mundane on the on the on the face of it are not very important doesn't yeah. mean to say that it hasn't got its own meaning its own value and ultimately so. it's up to each of us to i would suggest to everybody you do things you do everything that you do and do it with real passion because yeah. you'll get more out of it you'll do yeah. it better yeah. and the time will go quicker even if it's a job that you hate and so you know there are jobs i hate doing taking the rubbish out for example yeah. um you know putting the washing away why is it those jobs irritate when actually putting the washing in I hate grating cheese okay <laughs> so whatever the job is you know choose to enjoy it <laughs> so what I want to leave you with is if you are a parent if you are a teacher when teachers are great at telling children put your hand up if you want to ask a question they put the hand up answer the question and then say next time put your hand up so you're training people to do the things you don't want to mm. if you're managing a team, if you're leading a big company, 
think about how you create the environment where you expect support and help people to think for themselves. Because if they're worried about getting it wrong, if they're worried about you know, that you're going to go into one if something's not as you want it, um, they're going to close down. They're going to think, well, actually, I'd rather, I'm better off doing nothing or the minimum than I am putting my neck on the block um, and then finding that I'm getting my head shot on. If you want to know more, the Enlightened Leadership Programme, which is a culmination of 30 years' work in developing leaders, um, which looks at developing the person and the leader, then the Enlightened Leadership Programme is about to be launched next month. So look out for that. There's lots of free stuff on the website. Both of us are uh, best-selling international authors. The Point of Me and The Truth of Her are available on my website and on Amazon. And they're Rachel's two novels. She's just started uh, the third one. Uh, Thriving on <laughs> Surviving the Five Secret Pathways to Happiness, Success and Fulfillment. And all of my other books are available on www.genuinely-u.com. That's www.genuinely-u.com. Thanks for joining us. Any questions, any challenges, put in the chat box. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time. Take care now. Bye-bye. You've just been listening to another great Genuinely You podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Genuinely You is a culmination of Gina's work, spanning over 30 years of helping people learn what makes them feel happy and truly fulfilled and how to achieve it. Please visit genuinely-you.com today to find out more.